Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Guys, it really was great singing praises alongside of you. Uh, my heart was raised to, to really awe of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And to think of that glorious day, that day that is coming soon when we will meet Jesus Christ, our Lord, and be before him forever and ever, praising and worshiping him. It is a glorious thing to sing his praises now. It will be an eternally awe-inspiring and glorious thing to sing his praises in eternity to come. I can't wait. And I could hear by the singing that uh, I wasn't alone. Um, large group of people today, uh, I do want to welcome you, particularly if you're visiting. If you yearn for the first time, uh, maybe to witness a baptism a little bit later, I do want to say a welcome to Central Baptist Church. It's wonderful to have you with us. We do hope that you enjoy the time of worship and celebration of Jesus and the time of teaching that we're about to enter into now. Um, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're not going to be looking at many verses tonight. We're only looking at two verses, uh, verse 10 and 11 of chapter 7. But I think it's appropriate that we read from verse 1 in order to get some flow of the authorial intent and thought as we enter into those two verses. And so in your own Bibles, please do follow along. I'm reading from verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote... It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her congenial rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is the passage that we're going to be looking at this evening, the next two verses. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, 
But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Just so far in the reading of God's word. Let's pray as we come to the teaching of this text. Lord God, again this evening I confess that we are weak and we are frail. So often, even in reading your word, Lord God, we fail to understand it, or in understanding it, Lord, we fail to believe it, or Lord, in believing it, we fail to act it out in our lives, and yet we wish that it were not so. And indeed, Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit is within us. And so this evening, Father God, as we look at these two verses, simple as they are and easy to understand as they are, I ask, Father, would you give us understanding, guide us into truth, and guard us from error? Lord God, would you stir our hearts' affections toward your will and your way? And Lord, would you transform our lives? that we might live them to your praise and to your glory's sake. All these things we pray for your name's sake, in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. (coughs) Excuse me. Friends, marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. God created marriage, and God defines marriage. In the Garden of Eden in the Old Testament, and Jesus reiterating God's design for marriage in the New Testament, marriage is God's idea. The book of Genesis in chapter two, right at the beginning of the creation account, gives us several points for understanding God's design for marriage. First, God's design for marriage is of a man and a woman. Wife, in Genesis chapter two, in the text is gender specific. It cannot mean anything else than a woman. What is a woman, you ask? In this case, there is no confusion. A woman is an adult human female. Second, God's design for marriage is of one man and one woman. The words for man and for wife in Genesis chapter two, are singular. God's intent wasn't for multiple wives. Even though as we read in scripture, some people did take more than one wife. It is clear that from the creation account, God's design was one man and one woman. Third, God's design for marriage is one man and one woman for life. Unbreakable, unshakable, inseparable, lifelong. Divorce wasn't a consideration. If you 
think back of any marriages that you might have attended, any weddings that you might have attended and witnessed, you would have hear, heard in all likelihood the common vows. Ah, Mark, take you, Liesel, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part according to God's holy law. Marriage is God's idea. God created marriage. And this is why we have the line in our church's statement of belief that God created marriage to be an exclusive and lifelong union between a natural man and a natural woman, giving the man the responsibility of loving leadership and the woman the role of compatible support. But we live in a fallen world. If God said it, instead of that settling it, a, um, instead of that settling it, the world seeks to unravel it. Many men, polyandry, many women, polygamy, men and men, homosexuality, women and women, lesbianism. God's design for marriage is under attack. And then there is divorce. One in five marriages in South Africa ends in divorce. Which means in reality that everyone in this room has likely been affected in one way or another by divorce in your immediate family or friendship circles. God's design for marriage is under attack. Now, what sermon do you preach on Baptism Sunday? <laughs> the next passage in the book that we're going through. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians uh, for the last number of months. We find ourselves in chapter 7. We've been looking at God's design for sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. And last week, uh, Jabu took us uh, again through God's design for those who are unmarried. This evening, we are looking at God's design for the married. And in particular, we are looking at God's or at marriage is God's idea with that idea ringing in our ears. It shouldn't surprise us as we reach 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 and 11, that the main idea of this text is don't divorce. That's the, that's the big picture. If you walk away with just one thing tonight, the main idea of these two verses is don't divorce. Read the text together with me in your own Bibles, uh, verse 10. But to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. 
couple of things as we enter into an understanding of this text. The main idea being don't divorce. Firstly, it's written to the married. Paul has, as I said, addressed singles in 1 to 9, and now he addresses Christian doubles from verse 10 all the way to verse 16. You'll have to come back next week for the second part of the the blockbuster sequel um, preached by Jabru. Um, He he says, I give this charge, Not, not I, but the Lord. What did Jesus say about divorce? This is a question that we must ask ourselves as we come to this text. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, we read these words of Jesus. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Don't divorce. That was Jesus' teaching on the matter. Mark chapter 10, verse 5 to 12 Jesus says to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Jesus said, don't divorce. In Luke chapter 16, verse 18, we read, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Jesus wants you to know, don't divorce. And so as Paul is giving a command in Scripture, he says, look, this is a command, but it's not just a command from me, the Apostle Paul, to the Gentiles, that's you. It's a command from our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not divorce. Where do I get this idea of do not divorce? Well, it's the phrase that comes straight after him saying that there will be a command. The wife should not separate from her husband. And then a little bit later in verse 11, there's a conjunction, a joining word, and it says, and the husband should not divorce his wife. That's the parallel here. Husbands and wives, male and female. Those who enter into a marriage relationship are not to exit it through divorce. Is there any differentiation between the woman separating and the husband divorcing? The answer is no. There are synonyms here. If there is a difference, it's merely on emphasy, um, physical separation and legal divorce. It's, it's not even a two-step process. You know, you, you separate for a period, don't do that, and get divorced thereafter, don't do that either. No, these are two uh, simultaneous things that the apostle has in mind. I say that because in verse 11, if you look in your Bibles, it says that she is called unmarried. And so he says, the wife should not separate from her husband 
And then later, she is called unmarried. And so it stands to reason that separation here is a synonym for divorce. The details in Corinth are incidental. The fact is that divorce is always contrary to God's word. Now, the details in Corinth, it might be, although you can't definitively say that from the text, but it might be that there was a value of celibacy within the community of Corinth. And so Paul is saying, um, don't divorce your husband or your wife in order to be celibate so that you can serve God. If you're married, you serve God in the context of the marriage in which you find yourself. But he doesn't lay it out quite as explicitly as that. And so I believe he's appealing to a principle which has general application to everyone. Don't divorce. Why would a Christian pursue divorce? Because the world is fallen and Christians fall into sin too. The South African divorce rate is about one in five marriages. I I went and got the stats as best as I could for 2021, so they're fairly recent. As far as I could tell from the statistics, the divorce rate amongst those that practice religion isn't any lower than those in the rest of the world. In actual fact, in 2021, the statistics that I read, it was a little bit higher, uh, those who had solemnized their vows. Christians might divorce out of ignorance. Maybe they don't know what the Bible says, and so they act like the world in which they find themselves in. Don't. Maybe they've sat under false teachers who out of a desire to cover their own sin have been soft on the subject of divorce. Don't. Pastorally, I believe that most often the case is willful rebellion. A spouse gets to the point in a marriage where things feel unbearable. They're unhappy. And they make an idol out of their happiness. The pragmatic solution in our society and at this time in history is to simply walk away. To hell with the consequences. Don't. The next part of the text is nestled in verse 11, the first part of verse 11. And if you're not to get divorced, the next section of the text would say, if you are divorced, don't marry, reconcile. Read the text together with me from verse 10. But, there's actually a conjunction of comparison here. But to the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. Don't take exception with Paul. Don't take exception with me. If you've got a beef with this, you take it up with Jesus Christ. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, I need you to note at this point what's not in this text. 
Because the whole of Scripture needs to be read together with any one part of Scripture. Does that make sense? And what's not in this text is what is called the exception clause. I want to read the exception clause to you. It can be found in two places of Scripture. Firstly, Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except, this is why it's called the exception clause, because Jesus uses the word except. This is his words, not mine. But I say to you, beginning at the verse again, that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, hear the words of Jesus. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Friends, the Bible is clear. God hates divorce. The exception gives a legitimate biblical grounds for divorce. The exception does not make divorce mandatory in the case of adultery, but it makes divorce a legitimate option for an aggrieved spouse in the case of sexual immorality. And that's what the text isn't telling us, which we need to read the whole of Scripture with. But note what the text is telling us. This text, therefore, as it comes into verse 11, is speaking about a divorce that was made on unbiblical grounds. It says, but if she does, if she, if she has pursued a divorce, if she's received a divorce and it was on unbiblical grounds, she's not to marry, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. In the event of an unbiblical divorce, a Christian is not to but is to stay celibate, leaving the pursuit of reconciliation open at all times. You'll note that in the event of a divorce, the, the person is no longer married in this text. In other words, there's been a legal exchange, a, a legal finality of the marriage. She's called unmarried in this text. And therefore, you can't just shack up with your former spouse. You're separated legally. The apostle isn't saying that you're still married before God, even though you have divorced the man before you. No, he's saying live in a state of unmarriedness until such time as you have been reconciled back to your former spouse. In a fallen world, all kinds of scenarios present ourselves. I would imagine that there would be some here who are scratching their heads and thinking about their history or thinking about their friends or thinking about their family and wondering how the gateways and the checks and the balances in this text apply to them. Friend, let me just say that God's teaching on divorce isn't complex. God hates divorce, and he says don't get divorced. But in a fallen world, us as humans get in ourselves into all kinds of trouble. My suggestion is if you're even thinking right now, how does 
this apply into my situation, into my particular circumstances? One of the courses of action that you have is to come and speak to the elders of the church who can guide you through what Scripture says in its totality and give you counsel in your particular circumstances. Uh, you would initiate that by contacting the church office or by contacting any of the pastors or any of the elders that you know and ask particularly for counsel. For some of you, as you even listen to Paul's very straightforward command, which comes from Jesus Christ, you fall under deep conviction because you've made decisions in your life that you can't backtrack. Uh, water has gone under the bridge. In a, in a fallen world, things have become broken and you wonder how those might be undone. Firstly, let me tell you that divorce, whilst it is a sinful act, is a sinful act like any other act. Jesus Christ forgives sin. And so reconciliation is always available to us. My suggestion to you still would be to seek out the counsel of your pastors that can help you and sit down with you and take you through scripture and explain to you just how broken the world really is and just how capable Jesus Christ is to fix all the brokenness and the wrongs of this world. To the rest of us, for those of you who are not yet married, how on earth do you go about applying this text? You go, that's for the married. I, I'm not there yet. I'm unmarried. I'll wait for uh, next week or for job in a couple of weeks' time. How does this apply to you? Friends, it applies to all of us as the church. Uh, the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. And right now in our world, one of the key truths which has been undermined left, right, and center is that of human sexuality and that of marriage. Friends, we need to be a bastion, a, a place of safe refuge where truth can reside. We are to champion truth. Understand what marriage is. Read in your own Bibles from Genesis chapters one and two. Understand that marriage is the first institution that our God put into place, even before he put the church into place. The first institution which he initiated between man and woman. Go and read in the book of Ephesians towards the end of the book of the picture of Jesus Christ and the church being his bride and his love for her and her submission to him and how marriage pictures that glorious union that we have with Jesus Christ. Be encouraged as you think of the doctrines around marriage and God who gave marriage to us. What about those of you who are unbelievers? How does this even show us the person of Jesus Christ? Well, friends, we, we read in this text of a command, a charge, which Paul is giving to believers and he says that this charge, this command, doesn't just come from him. It's a charge which comes from the Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he issues many commands which his subjects are obedient to. He's a king, a royal king. 
and his kingdom is glorious. It's a kingdom of light. And his subjects are given privileges like eternal life and the Holy Spirit even until the day of salvation. We are obedient to our king's commands because we are in his kingdom. And the question that you might rightly pose is how do I transfer from a kingdom which is opposed to this great and glorious king to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun? And the answer is like this. Jesus died for your sins. He died for all your sins. We've spoken about one sin against God, the sin of divorce, uh, not living according to his standards. But you have other sins in your life. God is holy and he's separated from all sin. And you are separated from a holy God. And yet Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, was born into this world in a lowly stable and lived a life under the reign and rule of God, perfect in every way. He was blameless. He didn't deserve death. In fact, death had no hold over him. And yet he went to a cross and died for your sins. The prince of light was on a cruel cross as the world was darkened, as the wrath of God was poured out upon his son. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. He rose in victory and he rose in power and he rose of his own volition because he is king of kings and lord of lords. Friends, the call on your life isn't not to get divorced. Oh, I don't want you to get divorced. That is a good application of this text. But the call on your life, if Jesus Christ isn't your king, is to bow your neck and bend your knee and come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Profess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe with your heart that God rose him from the dead and you will live. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light that you might live a God-glorifying life to the praise and glory of God's name. Friends, even today, that is an offer to you. Even today as you read, I give you this charge, not I but the Lord. The Lord says to you, be my subject Be my subject and you shall live. He is savior and he is king. Put your faith and your trust in him and you too will live. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word, that it is faithful, that it is true. And even, though, even that it is so practical for matters of life and for godliness, sufficient in every way. Lord, in this area, we recognize that there's so much broken, so much heartache and so much 
to these relationships between men and women and the way that this fallen world comes in between that and the way that our own sinful rebellion comes in between that. Lord, we know from your word that you are a forgiving God. We know from your word, Lord God, that you desire our good. And so, Lord, I do ask that you would teach us to live according to your righteousness, that you would give us a hunger to glorify Jesus Christ as Lord in our lives, and that in all things, Father God, you'd bring praise and glory and honor to your name. These things I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.